0: learned from personal experience that you have to be very careful about buying
1: DNA kits as a, as a gift for somebody. But you know, people are going to do it anyway. Genetics isn't always black and white, and the emotions and decisions surrounding genetic testing can be even more complex. Welcome to Patient Stories with Gray Genetics. I'm Eleanor Griffith, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Gray Genetics, a telehealth genetic counseling and consulting service. It seems like there are constantly headlines in the news about genetics, but few news stories focus on the patient experience. At Gray Genetics, we are collecting patient stories, your stories. Every other Tuesday, we share an interview with a patient or a genetic counselor. Relationships
0: can weather all sorts of storms, but know that in the end, it might actually end up leading to better relationships with secrets not being held
1: Today, I'm interviewing Brian Kirkpatrick, a certified genetic counselor and the founder of Watershed DNA, which encompasses a private practice genetic counseling service and a blog. In her private practice, Brian focuses on counseling individuals who are considering direct to consumer testing, as well as individuals who have been surprised by the results of their direct to consumer testing. Brian is also currently working on a book related to DNA testing for adoptees. Brian, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking with me today. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about these things. So There's so many different topics that we could discuss, but given that the holidays are coming up and that it has become so common to see at least in my, um, my browsing experience, I'm constantly bombarded by deals for direct-to-consumer testing kits and what great gifts they make. Um, we thought it'd be a great idea to talk about that and um, whether or not it makes sense to consider that gift for someone and what to do if you get a kit like that.
0: Yeah, great question. So I actually have written a couple of blog posts on this very topic about should you give a DNA test as a gift? And um, I, I wrote one for the NSGC and for my own blog and I've learned from personal experience that you have to be very careful about buying DNA kits as a as a gift for somebody because especially if they're not expecting it it it's a gift that can go wrong and there's a lot that people need to be aware of about the test before they just you know open a Christmas gift and there it is and spit in a tube and send it back so you know I've tried to encourage people to think about it a little bit more I recently like printed off some gift certificates that I'm trying to encourage people to, you know, seek out genetic counseling before you do the DNA test. Um, but you know, people are going to do it anyway. And I, I'm at least glad that genetic counselors are available for when those unexpected results do come back.
1: Yeah. And have you yourself ever done direct to consumer testing?
0: I have. Yes, I have. So I, I personally got involved in genetic genealogy, which is a, a branch of genealogy where you're using DNA tests to either um, get past a brick wall in your family tree or to solve the family mystery. And we have a particular family mystery in our family. And I, I call it, where did Grandpa Ted go? That's the mes- mystery. And I have a, a great grandfather, Ted who um, for 19 years kind of disappears, and we don't exactly know where he went. And I was always curious, maybe there was a branch of the family tree that existed that we don't know about. And so that was one of the reasons that I got into the testing and have tested a couple of people in my family. And so far it doesn't seem like Grandpa Ted had a third family, but we, we knew about his second family and, and have connected with them. And actually from my entire DNA testing experience, I have a new great uncle that I've emailed from time to time the past couple of years. So it was quite a journey. And I'm glad that I did it myself because it really, it makes it possible for me to work with other people that are going through these experiences.
1: Yeah. And so did you go into the testing, um, knowing that that was kind of a question that you were looking into or is it, did you have testing done and that kind of pointed to this, uh, mystery in your family?
0: i would say well no i kind of we knew that this we knew that this was a possibility and uh, my mom's the family genealogist has has been doing family genealogy for i don't know 30 years and uh, so this was just kind of a compliment to that research we had already done in our family and um, really more for confirming what we suspected not so and we haven't really gotten any bombshell results i i have been matched to two different adoptees and then a a third person who didn't know who her biological father was. And I matched them in some of these matching databases around the third cousin level. And because my parents had tested and we had this half great uncle who had tested, I was able to help all three of these people in their search for their biological family. So, you know, that wasn't expected, but it wasn't a bombshell that has affected my nuclear family so much or my immediate family it's more of just, you know, discovering that our families are often differently structured than we thought.
1: Mm -hmm. And how, what were your interactions like with those, um, slightly more distant relatives that you connected with? Were they, were they happy to make the connection or did they like feel ambivalent about it? Are you still in touch with them now?
0: So I, I do occasionally email with, um, one of them from time to time. And they were they were glad to have somebody who they were matching that was responding to their messages, because um, not everybody will answer these messages through the in the online systems that the companies have set up. So they were they were positive interactions and I spoke over the phone with one of the adoptees and the others I just communicated with through the messaging system themselves. And I made myself available to to answer questions that they had and to share my family tree, but I kind of left it up to them how much communication they wanted to have. It's been over a year since I've heard from any of the three of them, and and that's fine with me. I'm not it's not my I, I'm not gonna push it, it's totally up to them. Um, and balls in their court for however much they would like to communicate.
1: Yeah, and so you founded your company about three years ago. Did you found your company after that personal experience? Is that what kind of got you interested in founding Watershed DNA?
0: Yes, yeah. So I had been involved in the genetic genealogy for a couple of years before I started Watershed. And I had been thinking about it for a while, but just needed to, it takes you know, takes some work to get ready to launch a private practice. And um, so around the time that I got involved in genetic genealogy, I also was involved in the public policy committee for the National Society of Genetic Counselors. And I took over leadership of a task force that our our task was to figure out what do genetic counselors and consumers need In the form of some type of education or a position statement on direct to consumer testing. So I was leading this task force and it ended up taking a a couple of years actually. And along that same time, I'm doing all of this work and for my own family's genealogical history. And it all just kind of came together. People started approaching me from the genealogy community with questions. They found out there's a genetic counselor here and all sorts of questions started coming my way. And I knew that I could help and I knew that I could answer those questions, but there just really wasn't any way to do that in, in my professional life at that point. And so starting the private practice kind of came out of this whole, um, you know, realizing there was a need realizing. I needed to figure out a way to meet that need, and it wasn't going to be in the traditional genetic counseling medical clinic setting. And uh, so it, I just decided to do it and figure it out as I went along. So I, I I hit live on my website on January 1st of 2016. Then we actually we were in Florida on vacation, so we went to Legoland for the day. And I'm, that whole day, I'm thinking. I hope that this works. I don't know if it will, <laughs> but I hope it does. And uh, my first client came through my website four days later. So,
1: oh, awesome! Um, so, so you've been in practice about three years now. What what changes have you seen um, in the industry and in the availability of direct to consumer testing options, and then also in the in the clients who are reaching out to you?
0: Changes. Um, so, I've noticed that more people are finding their way to me on their own, as opposed to getting referred by a genealogist or another genetic counselor. So, you know, people are turning to the internet in increasing numbers, trying to find answers to these questions that the tests are raising for them. Uh, So that's a difference that I've seen is just, um, I guess, the how people are finding their way, whether it's through, and I think, I think my website and blog are probably a component to that, that people search for whatever they are looking for support and um, can find me that way, so.
1: Yeah. and. So- so we were talking before doing this interview a little bit about how many people at this point have done some form of DNA testing and how it's becoming increasingly likely that um, you know this implicates lots of us, even for people who haven't done testing on their own, <laughs> just because it's at, it's at such a high volume. Um, what, are the, what are the current estimates as far as how many people have done ancestry testing or 23andMe and me testing?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And I think we'll see new numbers coming out after the holiday sales, because from what I what has been released so far in terms of numbers, it's another record breaking year. So and mm-hmm. the, at, at their last announcement, 23andMe had 5 million people in their database, but it's undoubtedly higher than that, probably at least 6 million at this point if you extrapolate out based on the graphs that show the database size. Um, Ancestry just announced they have 14 million testers in their database and those are only two of what we consider the five you know five big companies we have my mm-hmm. heritage family tree dna and then a newer one living dna is newer to the scene but all of you know right now we have at least five and then we're i'm sure there will be more companies to follow so we're looking at I, 20 million who kn- who knows by the end of you know next year just how many more millions of people will have done the tests it's a lot though
1: yeah and you were actually on the Megan Kelly show not too long ago, not, not a show I usually watch, but I watched your clip. And uh, when, one thing that you brought up is that because the testing is so common at this point, when there are surprises or secrets in the family, um, it becomes more of a thing of not uh, if, but when this kind of information will come out. Um, t- would explain a little bit about what you mean by that.
0: Yeah, so I, I can't give the odds about the chances a secret will come out as a result of the DNA testing, but I do that, think that they are pretty high at this point because it, it doesn't have to be you testing. It could be a cousin or an aunt or uncle or grandparent or even a second cousin, and that that mystery or secret can be unveiled in the family. So. I think where we can really help people at this point is to reassure them that relationships can weather all sorts of storms and it can be devastating news for someone to find out that say their father isn't their biological father, or there's a half sibling they never knew existed. You know, that can be very devastating or just really shocking at the time the surprise comes out. But relationships are able to weather a lot of different types of storms. So if you're a person who has a secret, think about the best way that you communicate with others, if that's through writing a letter ahead of time or making a phone call or sending an email. But somehow letting the people who will be affected by a surprise coming out, let them know about it ahead of time. Give them the space to feel all of those emotions, the anger and the grief and everything that they're going to go through, but know that in the end, it might actually end up leading to better relationships with secrets not being held anymore.
1: Yeah. And when you have uh, clients booking appointments with you, do you you find that you have clients who are booking appointments specifically kind of anticipating that there might be a like a some a somewhat surprise, I guess if they're anticipating it, not a not a total shock, um, and are thinking about that already, or is it really, um, is it really that this is coming up after the fact for most people you see still at this point? Right now, it's still mostly after the fact, and it, and some people
0: are still just confused about what what they're actually seeing. So they'll reach out and say, "I have this really close match, but it." doesn't make sense to me, or this person is saying that they're related to me this way, can you, can you look at this?" And so um, sometimes people are just looking for a second opinion or a professional confirmation of what they think they found. But I, I did have one, uh, one couple, one married couple, reach out to me after I was on the Today Show that had really been panicked by, by what I had said because they used a sperm donor to conceive their children in the Mm -hmm. early 1980s and they had not told their children yet. And so their children are now adults, starting families of their own. They were just concerned that the secret was gonna come out and their, their additional concern was that the children were going to assume that it meant their mother had an affair because they actually used a friend of the family as the sperm donor and from, you know, if they didn't have the full facts of the story, it would look like mother had an affair with the family friend and that's where the children came from. So I, I talked with them about um, different ro- resources that were available to them. So there's there's a, a website um, coming out of the UK for the Donor Conception Network and they have some booklets on how to tell, like how to tell your children that they were donor conceived if you haven't told them yet. So I helped them find their way to that resource and uh, helped them come up with a plan about how and when they might want to share. The news and, and their, their idea actually was that they would write a letter ahead of time so that they would know exactly what they wanted to say, and then if it came up in conversation, it wouldn't be quite so shocking and you know, ser- trying to search for the right words to say. So, I have not gotten an update from them to see how, how things are progressing, but that was one situation where they were starting to think of these things ahead of time and um, you know looking for information and support on just how exactly do you share
1: yeah and besides meeting with patients um one-on-one you see all patients over over telehealth right video conferencing or phone
0: yeah i i try to encourage people to do the video chat with me and i i use this platform that's hipaa compliant and and it's really easy to use people don't even have to use a login name or password, they just click on this secure link and, and we're in a chat room together and I'm able to you know pull up my screen and share results over the computer. But some people will decline that video chat, either they're not quite technologically savvy enough or they don't have the right right um, equipment at home, or it's a, a sensitive issue. So for example, one of the groups that I work with are people who are doing... Find out from their testing incidentally that there is a history of incest in the family because there's a particular pattern that we can see in the DNA called ROH, high ROH, or runs of homozygosity, and there are some direct-to-consumer tools that people can use and discover this. And um, I've had a couple of phone calls with individuals who make this discovery, and and they're really um, at at a dealing with that kind of information. I've not noticed that people really want to be on camera so much, but the phone call is a nice option to have for people who do want that instead.
1: Yeah. And then be, besides, um, meeting with people one-on-one then either over video or phone, you've also, you've actually started a number of support groups for individuals. Is, is that right? And you kind of, um, yeah. monitor those, but it's just to kind of connect people with similar experiences to be support for one another.
0: Yeah. And, and those are not in-person support groups. Those are through Facebook, like secret groups that have, have come together on Facebook and those came out of, um. You know, a friend that I was talking to, and then I had a couple of clients, and they all were saying the same thing that I wish that I had someone I could talk to who's been through this experience as well. And so I, I approached those couple of people, and I said, if I start this support group on Facebook, would you be interested in joining? So it started with just a few people, and I don't per- I don't participate too much in the commenting uh, or moderating. I don't really have to moderate very much, luckily. I. I just set it up, and I'm the person who helps other people to join it, and then they kind of they have their own conversations within themselves, and it's mostly just people sharing their stories, and then getting hearing from others. I know exactly what you're going through. I've been through that myself, and and um, they they kind of run themselves. And the reason that there's there's four of them right now is because um, I I cap them at 100 people just because I I think it's harder once these groups really get bigger to monitor the conversation and also just, uh, we haven't had any issues with people joining and doing ulterior things, but you just, you know, you just never know. So I, mm-hmm. I'm trying to keep the group small. And also uh, one of them is specifically for spouses of, of people who have um, found out that, you know the. The spouse found out they had a child they didn't know about, and now they're connecting. And it, you know, it affects other people in the family in different ways. So there's a group for spouses. There's a group specifically for people who find out their father's not their biological father, and then two two general groups. And um, I wouldn't say they're super active on a daily basis, but just recently there've been a couple of posts of people who are, you know, feeling stressed out around the holidays because holidays can really bring out times that you have to see your family face to face and if if this is the first Mm -hmm. holiday season since you made this surprise discovery in your family there's a a lot to be dealing with so
1: yeah um and you're you're working on a book right now that should come out next summer the dna guide for adoptees and was that something that really grew out of your experience with working with all these different individual patients who had those surprises come up or is that Um, Or is it more different where it's just more of a focus on people who knew that they were adopted and are interested in genetic testing kind of coming from that angle and seeking out family history information?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, So I'm I'm co-authoring the book with a friend of mine who's a genealogist and um, like a genetic genealogist specifically. And so we we really wanted this book to be a catch all guide for people who are adopted and have questions about DNA testing, whether it's for um, tracking down biological family or if it's for wanting to do test genetic testing for health and medical reasons. And so we cover both of those those topics in the book. And I you know I've worked with with adoptees in my private practice, but also over the years as a clinical genetic counselor. I don't know how many people I was drawing the family tree for and there was just a portion of the family tree we couldn't fill in because of an adoption. And that helped me realize at that point that adoptees really are at a disadvantage in terms of having access to medical family history and sometimes even their own personal medical history from when they were young. And uh, mm-hmm. I wanted to do what I could to help them get accurate information and to have it all be in one place to go to. So.
1: Yeah, I know whenever, um, now that, you know, in private practice also, I spend a little more time on social media, anytime there's um, family history awareness month or something along those lines come up, I feel like there's almost always a comment from some adoptee who's like kind of put off by that where, you know, like this is not possible for everyone to really know their family history.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's really relevant and, and it affects adoptees, it affects people who are donor conceived it even affects some people who are you know raised by a single parent or maybe their their birth father hasn't been a part of their life and so there's a, a lot more people than we realize who are affected by not having access to family medical history
1: yeah Um, So going back to the idea of this this episode will be coming out not too long before before the holidays and kind of thinking about different Christmas gifts. What do you you think like in general, like a, a test kit is a good gift for someone or if someone gets the test kit, what should they be thinking about before they actually do testing?
0: Yeah, very, very good question. So I think the idea of giving it as a gift is fine there's just a few criteria that you kind of need to check the box before it's a really great gift for the person you have in mind. So first of all, make sure the person has already said that they want to do testing, has already expressed interest in testing, and maybe they have a legitimate reason they haven't done it yet, whether it's they, they can't afford the test or they don't know how to go online to order the kit themselves. If you know if it's a if it's an area that um, that maybe they have not done too much reading about, and they don't realize the kinds of surprises that can come out of testing. Uh, make sure that you warn them of the the different types of information that can come out, including you know surprise relatives. Or if they look at their health reports, they might find out that they are positive for something, and will they know where to go next? So. Give a gift but also make sure that you have resources available if you were going to do that.
1: I I think that would be it, my main my it main It seems uh, like tip. it seems like if it seems like you're almost saying that if you give the kit, you should give it along with a little handout. <laughs> that, yeah. that you know, that's saying, like, think think about these things first. Um, think before you spit. I don't know. Um, I'm not, do you have, actually, I think maybe you have something like that on, on your website. I don't know if it's anything someone could could print out and include.
0: That's, that's a good idea. I probably do have an old DNA, an old blog post buried back in the history that I could pull up and, and would be kind of a summary of uh, those things to be aware of if you are going to consider opening Pandora's box for your family. Yeah,
1: we could definitely include a link to that in our on our show notes. I do think I remember seeing something like that on your on your site before. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's a little bit of like a wet blanket when you give someone a gift like here's this and like here's why maybe you don't want to do it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I know. It's uh, we don't want to we don't want to admit that these tests really can have, have be a Pandora's box, but in reality they are. We have to. And, and as genetic counselors, I think it's part of our duty to, to let, let people know they need to think about these things, even if it's uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, with the different clients you meet with, what are the most common misconceptions that you come across or where you, people have done testing and what are they most surprised to hear? Is it, do they think that they've done something that's like a more comprehensive medical test or they thought it would tell them more about their ancestry or they didn't realize it would tell them as much? As it actually does
0: yeah yeah there's two things that i've realized most people don't understand about consumer testing that once i let them know these two things they're they're like their eyes are opened wider so one of them is the fact that most direct-to-consumer tests essentially all of them are not looking at your whole genome and most people don't don't really have an idea of that they think that when they order 23andme they're getting their whole genome tested and and, and that is that. So when I explain to them that this is only looking at maybe a half of a million individual markers and your DNA is actually three billion letters long, people are, are their eyes get wide and they, they're like, oh, I didn't realize that. I'm like, I know, everybody has to learn it for the first time and that's fine, <laughs> that's fine. Uh-huh. Uh, and then the second thing that I think people get a little bit shocked by is that there can be errors in raw data files and that you know testing you could still be a carrier of a condition even though your 23 and me report doesn't find anything and and so the the idea that that genetic testing isn't just a yes or no clear cut black and white type of answer that is really eye opening to a lot of people so i think we just need to keep getting the the message out there and and as genetic counselors it's we're used to people coming to us with questions and not so not as much comfortable with the idea of kind of getting out there into the internet space and getting on facebook and and writing a blog and getting on youtube and all and getting on twitter you know we we need to be out there so that our so that accurate information is getting out there as well because if they if they they're going to turn to the internet and they're going to ask each other and uh, may not be getting accurate information so i i always take it the opportunity to encourage genetic counselors to try something new whatever it is to kind of get out there in in the space where people are going for their information
1: yeah and i i feel like there's um i mean like an increasing number of genetic counselors on you know on social media and twitter especially and um you know without necessarily recreating the wheel or like writing your own tweet or blog post. um, I think like one easy thing to do that like I've done and will probably do this holiday season is just retweet what you've already done. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, especially I don't really focus in the ancestry testing space at all. And every time I get a patient who's interested in that, I I send them to you. (laughs) Um, So I I do think it's something too where uh, genetic counselors, you know, in clinics sometimes get questions about direct consumer testing or ancestry testing and it's just like nice for them to know that even like you and your company that are there as a resource and since you do um telehealth counseling it's really available to to people in any state with you know caveats related to licensure laws some places yeah
0: yeah and it takes all of us doing what we do what we do well and um i'm i'm I don't do everything, and so there are lots of genetic counselors that I end up referring people who come to me. I say, "Well, I am not the best person for you. Let me put you in touch with someone who is." And a lot of times, that's a, you know somebody in a physical clinic because there's some things you can't do via telehealth. Um, I think it takes all of us doing what we do best, and uh, like you said, you know, retweet each other if we need to, and and um, I. You know i i love that you do your podcast because i think it's one more way to reach out to people and and share stories because that's the way that people learn is through other people's stories so i'm glad that you're that you're doing your podcast it's really great
1: and and uh yeah speaking of patient stories too so you i think we touched on this earlier but something i think that's relatively new on your site is your blog you've you've had a blog for quite a while but um, a portion of your blog or a new blog that really focuses on patients sharing their own stories, usually anonymously and occasionally with their name, right? Yes.
0: Yeah. So I, and all of them are kind of connected under this hashtag of DNA surprise. And, um, I, the reason I started this is that there were a lot of people who were coming to me looking for support and information, but the, the Facebook support group was just not, not their thing. And, um, I, I, uh, was, was, emailing with a person who wanted and I asked them do you think it would help for you to share your story in in terms of processing this because they were a writer and they were like oh yes I would love to do that and it would mean so much if I could put it on your blog so it just kind of you know these things just start with one just starts with one thing and and um when it when something is re- well received you want to try to keep helping people that way. So it's developed into more of these DNA surprise stories. Each of them are a little bit unique. And I I try to help people focus in on the emotional side of the story and how it's impacted them, because I feel like there's not enough of the, um, those kinds of stories. Those are not the stories that make it onto the TV commercial, but those are real experiences that people are having. So um, yeah, those, those, uh, I, Some people um, need a little bit of help with writing, so I do a little bit of editing work, but a lot of the stories are just straight out of the mouths of the, well, typing, I guess, out of the mouths of the people (laughs) who have shared them.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Um, Well, I'm guessing that after this holiday season, there'll be even more surprises, <laughs> yeah. more more fodder for sharing stories. What's your what's your um, in your experience? What's kind of the typical timeline? Um, how long after the holidays do you start to notice kind of a spike in in requests from clients, or is it not that obviously tied to the holidays in terms of people actually seeking out um, counseling related to results?
0: Yeah, I I haven't I don't I guess I've not been in existence long enough to notice spikes, except I will take, um, there is an exception to that. The uh, The month leading up to an election is a very, very quiet time. People are not, huh. <laughs> are not reaching out for genetic counseling or thinking about anything else, uh, apparently, leading up to large elections. So the, the fall of 2016 and fall of 2018 have been kind of quiet. But um I, I have noticed that there are spikes after major holidays at least of people reaching out over email So July 5th was a really busy day for email um, right after New Year's was a really busy day for email last year. So um, in terms of when the surprises are going to be discovered, not everybody really puts two and two together immediately. So you know some people don't really some people don't realize there's this, Tab that they can click on inside their account and see their family matching, some people test just thinking they're going to get their ethnicity pie chart, and that's it, so it's a i don't know I don't know what to expect I wonder what yeah, what it's going to be like next year i don't know
1: yeah, so we'll include in our show notes um, a link to that older blog post that we mentioned that I'm sure we can find related to things people should think about before they do a direct consumer test kit. We'll include a link to the DNA Surprise section of your blog and your different links on social media and your website. What's the best way if a patient or if someone, if a listener is interested in speaking with you further, setting up an appointment or interested in possibly getting involved in one of your uh, support groups, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Is it just to make an appointment through your website? Yes, if, if someone, uh, so to join a support group, you don't have to become a client. So
0: people can just email me or find me on social media and message me that way. I just need some but the email address that someone has associated with Facebook and a little bit of the background to their story so I can put them in the right place. And mm-hmm. in terms of if, if someone has a question that I could answer for them in, in a session, I have an online scheduling tool where someone can pick pull up my calendar and uh, pick the time and the day that works best for them. And then it will walk them through an online scheduling system. And I can take um, any information about the genetic test they've already had. And it's a secure, secure system that way. So um, I I do have email as well, but it's really hard for me to get back to people who just email me because it's, Mm -hmm. there's a lot to manage in an email inbox. So um, scheduling with me directly is the fastest way, I'd say, that someone could get, could get my support and help. Okay,
1: great. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and speaking with me. This will be a very timely release.
0: Great. Thank you. Thanks again for having me, Eleanor. I
1: appreciate it. If you'd like to share your story, send an email to podcast at graygenetics.com. Gray Genetics provides genetic counseling services using telehealth to individuals throughout the U.S. and the world through a growing network of genetic counselors. To find a genetic counselor specialized in your area of concern, visit graygenetics.com. If you are a genetic counselor and interested in being listed on the Gray Genetics Network, visit graygenetics.com to start the registration process. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute medical advice and is also not a substitute for genetic counseling. Neither Gray Genetics nor any of its guests makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Evaluation of an individual's personal and family health history is a crucial part of genetic counseling and any recommendations.